Have you been considering taking your horse or Western photography passion to the next level? Hi, it's Kara with Cowgirls with Cameras, and I want to tell you about our Cottonwood Ranch photography experience in August. This experience is a workshop, portfolio builder, business clinic, and gathering set in the majestic scenery of the Nevada mountains. This event is learning intensive and full of shooting opportunities that feature ranch work, western horses, cowboys, cowgirls, horses, and dogs. You'll walk away feeling more confident in your camera editing and business skills, shoot a few thousand images, and gain new friends in the process. Our events are always focused on collaboration over competition, and our three instructors, myself, Kim Beer, and Phyllis Burchette, are all deeply passionate about seeing you reach your photography goals. To learn more about this event and other photography adventures we have coming up, head over to cowgirlswithcameras.com. It's time to laugh, learn, and take your photography to the next level with your favorite Cowgirls with Cameras, Kara, Kim, and Phyllis. Hey there, photographers. It's Kim with Kim Beer Photography. And Kara with Fast Horse Photography. And Phyllis with Phyllis Burchette Photo. <laughs> Welcome to Cowgirls with Cameras. So today's episode is going to be devoted to learning all about how to create and use and curate a portfolio, which is a huge important piece in any photographer's professional appearance and professional business standing. So it's very important whether you're brand new as a photographer or whether you are a photographer that's really established, your portfolio is something you've got to go back and visit with a lot. So that's going to be our topic du jour today. And we do have a lot of information to cover with that. But before we dive into that, Kara and Phyllis have had an interesting adventure that I um, think they would like to share with you guys. They got to go to the Twin Cities and visit with some other photographers. I unfortunately had to miss out. But I'm dying to get a report, y'all, on what happened at AIM. Well, we really missed you. I mean, Phyllis and I, we didn't know what to do without our third musketeer running around with us. But I think we had a good time, didn't we, Phyllis? We had fun. Yeah, it was just sad to not have Kim with us. That's right. But you know what? We represented Cowgirls with cameras well. I still believe that we did that. So it was a lot of fun. This was the first year that I think, I know for me, I don't know about you, Phyllis, but it's the first year I got to go in person. Me too. Yeah, yeah. you were, okay, for you too. Yeah, so of course it, we all signed up back in 2020 and they had to cancel, of course. Right, but. so we did the virtual last year, which was pretty neat. And I was so impressed with how they ran over. I never had attended a virtual conference, I felt like. Like that was ran so well. It was really amazing. So the in-person conference was a lot of fun. For me, I was able to attend a few of the breakout workshops, got to chat with a lot of new photographers. But the part I was most excited about was the trade show and getting set up for the trade show. And then I ended up not even being able to stay for it. I had to get home. So I abandoned Phyllis at Animal Image Makers. Did you want to talk about how the trade show went? Well, yes, but I was just thinking maybe we should let people know what Animal Image Makers is. It basically brings together pet and animal photographers from all over the world for a great weekend of education and networking. The love of, of everyone that attends that we all have for animals really creates a great 
instant bond between each other and a great energy at the conference. It's 100% about animals and the business of photographing our furry friends. <laughs> Some of the top animal educators in the world have been brought together. It was just a great experience for everybody. I, I really enjoyed it. I got to meet some people that I had always wanted to meet. So everybody left me alone for the trade show. <laughs> I had to run the booth all by myself. You were abandoned. Poor me. It was terrible. No, it wasn't. It was great. <laughs> I had a great time. I got to meet a lot of wonderful people. We got a lot of interest in Cowgirls with Cameras and got our name out there and got to talk up our Cottonwood Ranch event. I think it was well worth being there and I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I got to meet some wonderful people, some other vendors and people that were attending the conference, a lot of great photographers, animal photographers. So had a great time. Oh, and our t-shirts were selling like hotcakes. That's right. Our Overshooters Anonymous t-shirts, yes. they are pretty much sold out at this point. Yep. And both Kim and I are wearing Cowgirls with Camera shirts today. So yeah, they're pretty much sold out at this point, but we'll have another run coming sometime soon. But you know, one of the other things I thought was really neat about that event is that we got to see our pal Terry Cage of Terry Cage Photography talk about equine photography. So we got to go and support her and that was pretty neat. She did a great job. She did a great job getting the word out there about telling people how to go about doing equine photography safely and how to present the horse well in your images. And also another really great highlight Light of my trip, or I think for you too, Kara, was to get to meet someone that I've been friends with virtually for years is Shelly Paulson. So Shelly came and picked us up Thursday, uh, Kara and I, and we headed over to the Minnesota Horse Expo in a blizzard, and we had a great day. <laughs> so I was freezing. <laughs> of course, Kara from Florida was freezing. I think we had a really nice day. We got to see some, a, a few horses that we hadn't seen before, some breeds, and it was really cool. Cold. <laughs> it was, it was a great day. It was a fun day. We spent we spent a lot, not probably not all day. We went maybe three or four hours at the expo, and then we went and sat in a coffee shop and talked the rest of the afternoon. So we had a great time. And then Shelly came back the next night and took Kara and myself and Terry out to dinner because she'd never met Terry before. So we had a really nice time. Don't forget, we got to go to Mall of America, which I found super oh, yeah. fascinating <laughs> that they had an amusement park in the mall. So that was pretty amazing. I'd never seen anything well, like that. So yeah, yeah we had an amazing amazing time with Shelly. Big thank yous going out to her for entertaining us and getting to meet her for the first time. And just the four of us getting to sit around and talk shop was a lot of fun. So it was it was really cool. I'm so bummed I missed that. Yeah, you really missed a good time. I'm telling you. But I'm more bummed that I missed the amusement park and the (laughs) Mall of America. Did you go on any rides at the Mall of America? Mm -mm. We had an amazing charcuterie board at the restaurant. If I would have been (laughs) with you, we would have had to have gone on a ride. We almost did the uh, carousel. Oh, that's way too tame. Yeah, we almost did the carousel ride, but none of us really... (laughs) We were Bye. close. <laughs> they had See, a that's why you need me there. Oh, it's to go on the roller coaster. <laughs> oh, I so would have done the roller coaster. There was another reason you were in Minnesota as well, or another another fun thing you got to do when you were there. Did you want to share that? <laughs> yeah, I met a friend of mine, Karen Blinker, that I think you and I had met before doing the Outer Banks, the horses, the wild horses in the Outer Banks years ago. And I've gotten to be friends with Karen. I have been up to Minnesota to shoot Great Gray Owls with her. But this time we headed up, she picked me up at the airport and we headed up to Wisconsin to shoot sharp-tailed grouse. And then we came back down and got to shoot some more owls. I got 
to see some long-eared owls and great horned owls. Well, I'd never seen long-eared owls before, so that was a first for me. So it was pretty cool. We got to do that in a blizzard too. (laughs) It was a great time. I would totally do it again. So anyone who's out there that's thinking, should I go to Animal Image Makers? If you're really focused on animal photography, whether you're a horse photographer, a dog photographer, cat photographer, I didn't feel like they talked a lot about wild animals at some of the presentations, mostly domestic animals. I would just suggest if you're into photographing pets or equines, that it is worth going and enjoying. And the trade show was a lot of fun too. You got to really spend some time talking to the folks at the trade show. So, I mean, the different vendors that were there. So Kim, I know you missed it, but we did the best we could to represent and to bring back tons of awesome information. And we sent you your swag bag and all of that. So your swag box and all of that. So I know you received that this week, but what have you been up to? Anything you want to chat about since you missed us? I did get to go to an expo on my own. So I did a one day tape at the networking event that I belong at. And I was actually there representing my gestalt business, not as a photographer. But my booth was right next door to a wonderful photographer. And so we got to talk shop and they actually do senior portraits and headshot portraits for corporate folks. We got to talk about the fact that occasionally they cross over into the equine world. So I got to share some tips and tricks about how to get good pictures of the horses for them. Very talented photographer and her husband that run a business and just really nice people. So it's always nice to connect and do that. Otherwise, I have been home taking care of my health, which is why I had to miss AIM. Just trusting in my own process. Uh, Being an entrepreneur sometimes means you have to slow it down and make sure you take care of you. And that's where I've been at for the past month or so is just focusing on one step and one day at a time. It's right where you need to be. Right where I need to be. So now let's switch over our topic here to growing your portfolio. And I cannot stress enough how important having a portfolio is to a photographer. And I know we have a lot of young photographers, maybe not in age, but experience per se, listening to the podcast and following us and looking to us for suggestions and portfolios are such an important place to begin and to build to get your career in the direction that you want it to go. Now, if you're a more established photographer, it's also something that you can't just put a check mark step by and say you're never going to touch it again. Like your website, like all your marketing, like all the things you put out into the world, you really need to pay attention to it. So hopefully if you are a more experienced photographer, you will hang out with us here and listen because there's ideas that are going to be coming your way about how you can improve the portfolio that you currently have and be able to utilize it even more. So I'm going to turn this over to Kara because she's got some fantastic ideas in true Kara form, a beautiful list of suggestions for you. So Kara, you take it away. Well, I know Phyllis will have a lot to chime in here too, but one of the things that when I think about my portfolio is that it's a constantly evolving collection of work. So it's changing and it's changing as I continue to grow and learn in my photography. So my portfolio from when I started shooting regularly six years ago is very different than what it looks like today. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Not just that my work has changed and I hope has gotten better, but that I have different 
different needs for my portfolio and it needs to fill kind of some different buckets that it didn't need to fill back when I was first getting started. I think I have some tips that I thought would be helpful for folks. And the, the first one that I can think of is that a lot of times when you're in the early days of portfolio building, you don't have a lot of work. So you don't have a lot of paid shoots. Maybe you don't have a lot of unpaid shoots. You're just trying to get out there and shoot. And that's honestly the best thing that you can do. So even if you don't have sessions scheduled, you have to find a way to keep shooting and keep getting people in front of your lens. It needs to be, to me, whatever you're photographing, whether it be people or just horses or animals or horses and humans together, it needs to be something that you see yourself wanting to photograph in the future because you wanna show what you hope to sell one day or show what you hope to shoot one day. So, you know, you really need to be thinking about who's your audience, who are you going to be, and I put this in quotation, speaking to with your images so that you can start thinking about putting together shoots that will represent that. So it ne that needs to be your target audience. Once again, show the what and the who of what you hope to photograph in the future. Another thing that I think sometimes I see is that it's so important that the images that you're showing that you're using in your portfolio or that you're putting on your website are really only your best images. With social media, it's so easy to get caught up on showing everything. You might do a photo dump of every image from a session or your top 10 favorite images from a session. And really, you don't need to show those things unless they're your best. Because every image you put out there, I hate to break it to you guys, it's going to be out there forever. I have some images that'll pop up in memories and that my clients will share because they love them. But I'm like, oh no, that image is going to haunt me for the rest of my life because it's not an image same, that Kara, I feel <laughs> is the best representation of my portfolio these days. Any photographer that's out there in the time of social media and the ability to share and be super proud of your work probably feels that way too at some point. And they just never go away. I would definitely spend some time, once again, thinking about the audience and who you're trying to speak to. And then look at your portfolio and say, do I have holes in my portfolio, buckets that I need to fill by creating images that really are going to go to work for me? So, you know, go through your images, look for that, that unique eye that you have, that unique asset or your unique point of distinction that is represented in your images that will really set you apart from other photographers in your field. It might be a way that you shoot, the type of shooting that you like to do, or even the way that you process your images when you're done. You're looking for that thing that really defines you and sets you apart from every other horse photographer that is available to be found on Google. I would love it if we talk about this more in detail, maybe on another episode, but definitely go out and actively plan shoots just for the purpose of portfolio building, where you sit down and plan out the concept. You determine your end goals, hire models, and collaborate potentially with other business owners to make sure that you're creating images that are going to work for you and you're not just creating when you're being hired to create. I also recommend if you can do a portfolio review. So take those existing images that you think best represent you and sit down with a mentor or another photographer in your industry that you really trust and that understands your industry and get some feedback from them. Anytime I have done this, I have found it so eye-opening to see how my images are viewed by other people. I think we get caught up in being afraid of criticism 
and being afraid of hearing that we could do better or do something differently. And if we can get past some of that, I think our work just goes to a whole nother level. If we can take the criticism and actually like process it and think it through. I think that's probably the biggest thing. I think the last thing I would say, just because I love doing this, is I love to team up with another photographer and do shoots together. It's a great way to get creative and bounce ideas off of each other. You can split the costs of model hires or some of the props that you bring in. And it's just a really fun way to get creative. And I think some of that's what we bring to the table with Cowgirls with Cameras workshops. I think you really covered a lot of bases there. I was just going to add also that I think attending workshops, whether it's ours or anybody's, it's a great way to build your portfolio. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about how to structure your actual portfolio and your visual portfolio, I guess is what I'm talking about on your website or back in the day, of course, we used to have a portfolio book, you know, (laughs) but I, I think one of the biggest things is whatever you do is make your passion very prominent in your portfolio, what you really want to be hired for. And to make sure that that interface on your website or in the portfolio that you're showing, that it's clean and very visually attractive for people to look at. Maybe even try to inspire your audience a little bit by combining words and images that make people want to act and respond to to what they're seeing. Again, like Kara said, choose only your best images. Ask someone to look at your portfolio that you're wanting to put up and give you some feedback, and but make sure it's someone you trust their opinion. <laughs> I would also say choose photos where each image stands on its own. You can do a story building portfolio, but I think it just depends on if you're being hired by a client and you're showing them this portfolio, you can read your client. You can read, do they want to do a story building series or do they want images that stand on their own? When you're doing it for a client, think about creating a portfolio that's focused on images that uh, will show them that you're the right person to hire. And if you do shoot a different photography niches, like you, you know, maybe you shoot landscape, maybe you shoot horses, maybe you shoot portrait, it's okay to make multiple portfolios, you know, to best suit your audience. So I think it's good to show the client that you can do a variety of jobs. I know back years ago, I got hired to do, I was wanting to do a, a lady ride and or look at a place it was a, actually a cabin for hire in Colorado and I actually got the job because they wanted somebody that could do architectural images along with landscape and horses so it's good to be able to show that you can do a variety a client will be looking for variety and I think lastly is uh gosh take risk I think risks are a really important part of the world of art. It extends, and this extends into your portfolio. Don't be afraid to take a risk that you think is going to show examples of your creativity and innovation and stay current and modern with that. Be sure to to update your work, which I'm bad to not do. (laughs) That part about staying current and modern can be really huge because I've seen photographers really date themselves and date their work by using types of editing or shooting that is maybe just not done as much right now. So if you've got some of that in your portfolio and it's not currently the trend, you know, really think about how that fits in with what you want to shoot. I'm not going to give any examples, but that's you know, just something to really think about. I think that's really important too, because photography does go through trends just like fashion. Just this morning, I saw somebody's work that was, which is great work, don't get me wrong, but they're kind of living in what was current five years ago, which isn't that way now. So yes, look at the modern trends, just like reels is a trend on Instagram right now, but it's not really a trend. I think it's going to be here for a while. So do you guys want me to talk about model calls right now? Or do you want me to save it for the end? What do you think? 
models are something I think that newer photographers are really afraid of, right? It's a scary thing to put out a model call for the first time. And working with models can get really complicated. And I do know we do need to do an entire episode on it, Kara, or at least that's what my feeling is. But I think here it's really appropriate to talk about when you're building your portfolio, having a model and making sure that you have your T's crossed and your I's dotted, you know, have your model releases and stuff. But just the the asking and planning part. And we have some friends that we hang out with. It's a true privilege to hang out with them that have really good model ideas and ways to get models into their business and also to work with models. So, yep. Go right ahead. I do agree with Kim that this could be an entire episode in itself, but where models are concerned for portfolio building and model calls, I have definitely used them in the past and I've had some successes and some failures with that. One of the things I realized when I was first starting out and I would put out a model call is I would have a ton of interest. 50, 60, 100 inquiries would go through my website and want to be on the model call. So what I found was happening is that I would go through when I would pick who I thought was a great fit for the project I was trying to create. I would go through the process of setting up a date and a time with those people and talk through what I needed from that shoot. And then what would happen is I would drive out and to meet them on the day of the shoot and no one would be there. They just wouldn't show up. And so that was a lot of time and energy invested. Other people could have taken that out, what I thought was a great opportunity and participated in that. One of the things that I started doing in the early days of model calls is I created, well, actually I didn't create this part of it, is I participated in an online program called In-Person Sales Mastermind. And there was a workshop that was called the $50 Model Call. And when I went through that program, I realized that even on a model call situation, sometimes your models need to have a little skin in the game in order to go through your entire process. And for me in that model call, I wanted to test my workflow. So it wasn't just about shooting and portfolio building. For me, it was the initial inquiry, working with clients, getting them prepped for the photo shoot, the actual session itself, meeting with me afterwards to view the images. So I needed them to go through that whole process. So I actually started charging my models to participate in the model call. And then that is when I realized I really was able to slim down the amount of interest to people that were really interested and were going to show up and then also get them to a place where I was learning, I was going through my process, I was testing my process and we were shooting and they were getting images. So the way that I always structured that was that any money that I requested for them to book, I'm putting that in quotations, book their model call spot, they got back when they completed the process. So they got the money back, but they could go through the process. And all that did was encourage people to actually participate. And it worked out really, really well for me in the beginning. I got a ton of portfolio work. I got a ton of new sessions. And then from that, I was able to build much more of an online content presence and actual good portfolio work. Now, I'm not saying that I think every model call needs to be paid. I'm just throwing out some ideas out there that you don't have to offer it for free all of the time. And you need to remember that when you're offering a model call for free, you are directly potentially undercutting other photographers in your area. So you really need to think about how you do that and be really just be super thoughtful about when you're advertising free photo shoots as model calls. Phyllis and Kim, did you guys want to add anything to that? When you offer something for free, people take it at the value that you offer it. <laughs> so that's nothing. And even if you don't want to, let's say you charge them a $50 fee or a $100 fee, 
you don't always have to give that money back to them. It can be prepayment and you can say, I'll exchange this for X number of prints or two or three digital files that you can share out with you. Because let's face it, if people are showing up for model calls, that means they have an interest in making money in this too or getting something else out of it. And if they can see more of that benefit of what they can get out of it in the future, then they're more likely to be participatory in the process. They're more likely to show up where they're supposed to be. They're more likely to be more engaged with making sure that it's done right, that they're, in our case, that their horses are groomed and everything looks the way that it should for the same way a potential client would look. So it's to me, it's important that they do have skin in the game. I have had zero luck with free model calls <laughs> in my career. What I have had luck with was charging a set fee that's much reduced from my normal fee in exchange for the fact that I have to have X number of shots. And I'm really very upfront with the people that I asked to help me build my portfolio. I will simply say, I am building my portfolio. I am looking for these shots. When I first got into raining, you have to be able to shoot a stop if you're going to do raining shows. And that's what the show staff wants to see in your portfolio. So I contacted really high-end, what I would do high-end for my area. Mind you, I'm in the middle of the Midwest. So barns that had good reining horses and said, here's the deal. I will do, you know, X number of stallion shots, which I already had a good portfolio for, but I need stop shots. So I need you to be able to stop that horse X number of times. I need an arena that looks good. I need to have dirt that's going to fly. These are the things that I need to have. I need you in your show gear. <laughs> so you're going to have to outfit your horse the same as you would for a show. No jeans, no braided tails. You know, I, I need you to be like really on top of it. So I'm asking a lot of that model and giving it something back. That's 100%. I think you can't just do a blanket model call. Like I just, I personally have never been a big fan when people just say, I just want to take pictures of people. Like, let me know, you know, if you want your picture taken, like you need to be super specific about what you need for your portfolio. So if you're trying to build the commercial side of your portfolio, you need to be working with small businesses and looking specifically for the types of products and services that you want to photograph. And that's who your model call needs to be targeted at. If you're trying to, to photograph a certain type of horse, a certain breed, or do a certain type Type of discipline, you need to be super specific about that. And that's going to help other, you know, it's going to help you get what you need for your portfolio. It's going to help narrow down and make sure that you've got the right people. And it's going to help other photographers in your area respect and understand what you're doing. I would add one more thing about that. Yeah. I mean, I've spoken about how you want your models sometimes to have skin in the game. On the flip side of that, there are times when I have paid models to get access to a particular breed of horse or a particular person that I really wanted to photograph. So I think as photographers, photographers, you have to balance what that is that you're looking for and where you are in your game of portfolio building. Exactly. Do make sure that you have your legalities taken care of, though, when you're doing this, because there's nothing worse than getting into, you know, go going and shooting and getting the exact shots you need for your portfolio. You use them for a little while. And then all of a sudden the model comes back and says, hey, you're 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 doing really well off of those shots you took of me. I need 
XYZ now. And you're like, yeah, there's model releases all over the internet. I mean, they're not hard to come by. So grab a model release and familiarize yourself with the process of that. And I also encourage people to definitely get a check mark on a property release, especially if you're going to somebody else's facility to take those photos. I know I did that a lot when I was building my portfolio. I was at nice facilities of famous people. And I needed to have some ability to be able to know I could use those images legally and without strings. And horses are property. Horses are property. Well, I wanted to change this conversation over, unless you have something you want to add here, into how to use your portfolio. Because I think that's a place that building the portfolio is like the fun part for most people. They're they're all down for that. Let's, let's build our portfolio. Let's go shoot. <laughs> you know, people even kind of bite the bullet, even if they're shy about, you know, finding people to photograph and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to actually using your portfolio, I see some feet dragging. Now, we used to back in the day have printed portfolios and and I'm sitting over here thinking, I still have printed portfolios. (laughs) I have several books that I carry around with me when I am in a target rich environment that people can just pick up and thumb through. And I have to tell you, I have booked more jobs off of those portfolios than I can count. It's it's absolutely the best way to sell stuff. But make sure you curate your portfolio for the audience that you are going to be showing that portfolio to. I believe that was Phyllis who had that piece of advice, which I also think is super important. So if you're looking for commercial work, What you can do is you can take your digital portfolio, usually in the form of your website or in the form of maybe a video that you can send to people via email or snail mail if you're going to print it. Send it to the people that you'd like to especially work for. If you have shot some of their items for that particular brand, either on purpose or by accident, and you would like to look at maybe doing some work for that organization or brand, then definitely include that in the portfolio. Portfolio. Do your research on the brands that you're going to approach to see if you can work with them. You want to make sure that you capture the look, the feel, the emotion of that brand. All of those things are really important to commercial businesses. And it's important that they have photographers that they work with that understand that. And a lot of small businesses and a lot of big ones for that matter, they need commercial imagery. So if that's a place that you're wanting to look for, to me, that particular line of showing your portfolio is the most curated line that you're going to find. You're always going to choose just exactly the most specific images to be able to show to those potential clients. If you are wanting to work in the fine art world, you can take your portfolio either digitally or printed and you can approach galleries about doing a show or having some of your images featured in their space. I've done this on a couple of different occasions and had some really nice luck with it. If you get to know the gallery pretty well, a lot of galleries like the gallery where I have a small studio space in Kansas City, they have uh, member-only shows several times a year. But I will also participate or 
hang other images throughout their seasons in the gallery. And there's a lot of galleries in that little area that I have approached about having my work displayed in. So you can take your portfolio and show it there. You can also approach businesses about showing your images in their spaces. So I work with a lot of visual artists other than photographers in helping them market. And I've not seen a photographer do this personally. I know there are some that have, but I have seen a lot of my visual artists that I coach and work with and mentor that have approached restaurants and offered to hang their work in that restaurant or coffee shops. I've had a couple that have been very successful with coffee shops or even corporate businesses. Now, I've had a lot of my work is displayed in corporate offices, but they've purchased it through different channels than me showing up with the portfolio. There's always an opportunity to get your art out in places. And that becomes a living portfolio for you as well, because whoever's coming in and out of that space is also seeing your work, whether it's in the gallery or the restaurant or the coffee shop or the corporate building. If you're looking to do a portrait or private work, taking your portfolio in printed form or on a tablet to a booth or a table at local events where your ideal client will be, like my new friend that I met at Central Exchange. She had a booth right next to mine. She had it done up really nice. She had her portraits, her portfolio stuff all laid out all over the table. And she had a couple of really fun doors. She does a lot of her headshots with doors in the background. And so they had some really colorful doors there. And it, it really drew people over to the booth. I thought she did an outstanding job. And another thing I thought she did really, really well was a printed piece which I'm going to show Phyllis and Kara, where she does high-end senior portraits. Oh, it's like a lookbook. It's like a lookbook. It's a little portfolio of her work. It features local kids that people are going to recognize. It has suggestions about how to book your senior sessions and about what to expect and little fun sayings that are very appropriate to the current generation that's out there. And all of her photos are mixed in with it. So it just makes it really easy for her to be able to hand what I call a walk and talk piece. You can talk with people and then people walk away with it. And it's printed on some really fun to feel paper. It's too bad you guys can't feel it. It's very fun to feel paper. So you actually really like touching it. <laughs> so it's just a really nice way to be able to display the portfolio of her work. And I can tell you, she's very talented. If I had a senior, I would definitely hire her to shoot my senior. I was just sitting here thinking I'd slap a QR code on that and make it a digital lookbook so people can take pictures of it and pop right onto their phones. Yep. Well, actually, they picked up the cowgirls. <laughs> but I'm with, very QR Cody right now. You are, but they picked up. So I took our stuff over to their booth and handed her our stuff because I'm like, you never know when a photographer, I did the same thing at a horse expo. There was a equine photographer had a booth at the horse expo. And I went over and introduced myself and said I was the cowgirls with cameras. But anyway, the lady I met, her name is Rye, by the way. Um, and she's a photographer in uh, Stillwell, Kansas. When I handed her our card, her husband immediately saw the QR code and was like, oh, how do you get these? I need to put them on there. So Kara, they're already already <laughs> on to the, to the next step. They're on it. They beat me to it. Kara has turned me on to the QR code. I've 
already created mine in Canva, so. I know. Between my QR codes and my digital uh, business card, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm having people scan me yeah. all day long. That's, that's, <laughs> scan me, that's baby, scan cool. me. Yeah. That's all about staying current and modern, <laughs> right? Go. Well, I think that trips us over into another topic that we wanted to bring you guys today, and that is our gadgets, gear, and software section of the show, where we want to talk to you today about alternative input devices when you're working on your computer. And I know that sounds really fancy and fun, but basically it means a Wacom tablet. And both Phyllis and Kara have Wacom tablets. I have one as well, but I'm going to reserve my comments for the end because I want to talk about some of the things that I've been up to with a tablet of a different color. Well, I'm new to Wacom tablets, so I've been only using mine now for about three months and it has been touch and go literally the whole time and I have enjoyed it and I do use it, I would say 80% of the time for my editing now because I'm getting more and more used to it. I still think there's some kinks I have to work out in like my pressure sensitivities and and stuff like that. But I really do love how detailed I can be with stuff. So uh, Phyllis, I know you've been using a Wacom tablet for a very long time. Can you talk more about it? Well, my current Wacom tablet is pretty old, but it's very similar to the one that I did a little research on just finding out what the latest and greatest is. It's just the Wacom Intuos Pro. Mine is a Wacom Intuos. Mine's pretty similar to the new one because it does give really accurate results. It has a lot of customizable buttons on it. It's perfect for Photoshop. I really don't have anything negative to say about this particular Wacom tablet. It is a little pricey. It's about, I think it's a little over $400. It does take time to get used to. I think you have to give yourself two to four weeks to really dive into it. They say you have to put your mouse completely away. Like just get rid of your computer mouse and use nothing but your your pen or what do they call it? A stylus or something? Use nothing but your pen. I call it the pen. That would probably be helpful. I, I have both my mouse and my Wacom tablet sitting here. So I use both, but I don't do a lot of meticulous work like I used to. I When I used to do a lot of background replacements and stuff like that, I don't do as much of that anymore like I used to. Gosh, I don't think I could have lived without it back when I was doing a lot of that. I mean, you can. You can you can do it with a mouse, but it just makes things so much easier and so much faster to have the tablet. There is a Wacom Intuos Medium. It's uh it's smaller. It's about that's the one I have. Is that the one you have? Yeah, it's about yep. it's only about a hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. It's great for beginners. I highly suggest that if you find that you're really loving the one you have, Kara, you may end up wanting to step up to a, a more expensive one just because it. It, it will give you more sensitivity and I think you'd really like it. And and I think being able to customize it is, is a big plus too. I think the less expensive one, you there are some customizable buttons in it. I'm not sure. I've never seen it before, but you could talk more about that than I could. I think if you would like to do Photoshop work and you're into doing that and you love doing some editing and being creative, that I highly suggest you get a Wacom tablet. Yeah, I have found when I'm doing things like cloning or trying to, if there's like an edge, say like around a horse and there's a fence I'm trying to get rid of and it edges right up to the side of the horse that I can make such a cleaner line and it's it seems to flow so much easier with my Wacom tablet than it does using the mouse. And that's probably been one of the biggest features that I've enjoyed from it so far is the, the detail work seems less clunky than it did with the mouse. Yeah, definitely. If you're doing a lot of fine detail work, I highly 
I highly suggest you get a tablet. Kim, did you want to talk a little bit about your experience as well? I do. I have enjoyed having a tablet over the years. One thing about it that if you tried a tablet years ago and you decided it wasn't for you, (laughs) you need to try it again because Photoshop has made amazing strides in being able to offer pressure sensitivity to their brushes and to all of the tools that has gotten better as well. So it's not just that the tablets have improved some, but the software that you're using has dramatically changed Even in the last 24 months, it has made big strides in being able to make that pressure sensitivity a real key attribute in how you can utilize it inside of the software on your images. And so much of Photoshop and all of the tools that we use really that are digital that will take advantage of a Wacom tablet, they really have all come a really long way. All of that said, I chose to go with a different type of a system where I use my iPad Pro. And it's the same concept. You're still using a stylus and you're still utilizing that versus a mouse for your input to be able to alter the image. And I absolutely love doing my editing on my iPad Pro. Now, if you have an iPad and you want to dabble to say, would this pressure sensitivity, would a tablet actually work for me? And you do have an iPad at your disposal. There is a software that you can download. It's not very expensive. I think it's like $20. It's actually available for Windows tablets as well. It's called Duet, D-U-E-T, like a, a duet in music. And it will let you use your tablet, your iPad tablet, as an input device. So you can kind of experiment with it. You can utilize um, your Apple Pencil if you have one, if you have an Apple device, and be able to use it as a pressure-sensitive input device to edit your photos with. So that's a, another opportunity if you you want to dabble in this and you're not quite sure you want to invest in a dedicated tablet, it it certainly is a way for you to experiment and to try some new stuff. I love that. There's so many more people I've seen doing edits on their iPads. If it's not something that they're doing, maybe they just need to do quick edits that they're using their iPad a lot. And so to know that there's that option, that's a pretty cool feature. I think a lot more people probably have iPads already, especially with some of the newer ones that are coming out. So that's a fun idea. Yeah, someday we'll have to just chat all about my iPad workflow. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) There's probably some people that'd be interested. It took me a year. I spent last year figuring it out. (laughs) I was, yeah, I was throwing things. It was, it was ugly for a minute, but now I love it and don't want to ever go back. I remember those days. (laughs) I know. I kind of remember those days too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that what we wanted to do here was just to throw out another idea, give you our take on using a tablet for your editing. So if you guys have given it a try and you love it, let us know. We definitely want to know more. Should we move on to our final segment, the challenge? Yeah, Kira, why don't you issue the challenge this episode? Since I'm the one that came up with this challenge, I'll chat a little bit about it. I thought maybe that for this time period, we could do a challenge on creative framing. So framing refers to using elements of a scene to create a frame within your frame. And I love that because I'm a big goofer looking for foreground, looking for frames all over the place to frame my subjects in. So a great example might be that you shoot your subject through a barn door or 
over branches or fences or, or on a trail, or you look for arches and buildings, something to really highlight the focus of your subject as the focus. So with this composition, you can really create depth in a photo and make it a little more interesting. So we would love to see your creative framing. If you've done some creative framing, share it with us. If you haven't done some creative framing and you want to get out and give it a try, this is a great time to do it. Share with us online at hashtag CWC photo challenge. And our goal is that if you tag us, we're going to try to share it. We would love to share it and get some folks to see your work out there. I think that's a great challenge for the week. It I is like a that. fun challenge. I think we all love framing. That's always cool. That is a fun challenge. All right. So that wraps us up for the week, you guys. It's been awesome. If you haven't checked us out online, we are on Instagram and Facebook at Cowgirls with Cameras. You can also go to our website and see some of our upcoming events. Did you two want to give a plug for any events you have coming up that you are looking to fill? We still have some space left in the Art of the Cowgirl summer event that we're holding in Big Timber, Montana at the end of August. And then we also have, I think, a couple of spaces left for the Cottonwood Ranch. That's right. We sure do. Go check those out online. I think that's it for us. So I hope everybody has a great couple weeks of shooting and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cowgirls with Cameras. Don't let the laughter and learning stop here. Join our community on social media and be sure to visit our website for more opportunities to fulfill your photography goals. Head to cowgirlswithcameras.com. That's cowgirlswithcameras.com. See you next time.